turning to 1 Peter, uh, chapter 2, and then we'll be looking at verses 4 to 10. So it's really nice to see so many people here today. And as always, I assume that the Zoomers are on. They are. So good morning, Zoomers. So we'll, we'll begin at, chapter, at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you, Sue. And good morning. My name's Arthur Copeman. And Zoomers, greetings. You're over. You're you're getting my better side, I hope, (laughs) this morning. I'll move the microphone back a bit so it doesn't block your view. But it's great to have you still with us. So now I actually bring you greetings from the congregation who meet at New Lambton, uh, who are all very excited for us, and lots of them were, were wondering, kind of gave me good wishes in Christian ways as, as I left New Lambton, 8 o'clock, to come across here. And uh, I encouraged them particularly to go to the weekend away so they could see you, So, um, so because uh, it'll be good to be there. But we're coming into the Word of God, which Sue has just read to us. So let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word, and we thank you for the privilege it is to be able to have this space available to us where we can open up your Word and respond in prayer. And Lord, we pray now that your Spirit would be upon us as we meet and as we look at your Word in each of our hearts that you would be enabling this word to transform us to be more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we live in a country where I think it's becoming increasingly difficult to be Christian. More and more aspects of our society are being shaped in ways which leave Christians out in the cold. For example, over most people these days have legal protection and the government legislates for it, but somehow over the last few years neither political party has been able to legislate to protect Christians. 
or I heard this week that the federal government is proposing to remove the tax-deductible status for school, supporting school scripture. Why? Will that really make a big difference to the budget deficit if we can't get tax-deductible status for, Christian, for supporting school scripture? To me, it just seems mean. Our society has moved on, and it's moved on from us as Christians and it has a right to do that. And I think I would support its right as a society to make its own decisions about its future. And people are making their decisions, and the decision is to move on from being Christian. Now, that puts us in a similar position to those Christians who first received this letter from Peter that we're working through at the moment. They lived in, Tur- in northern Turkey, And in northern Turkey in the first century, it was not easy to be a Christian. It was not that their society had moved on from Christianity, although it has since. But in the first century in northern Turkey, Christians were persecuted. So the Apostle Peter writes to these Christians to remind them of their significance in Christ. But these words then became part of God's word so that today... They remind us, living in Australia, of our significance in Christ. And the passage before us today begins with these words. As you come to him, as you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is significant about coming to the Lord Jesus? Well, with this in mind, Peter then gives us two magnificent images of what it means to come to Jesus. Two images which help us to understand who we are in Christ. And the first image, if I get this right, is of a beautiful building. Have a look at verse 4 in 2 Peter 4 if you're following. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Peter says, as Christians, we are living stones in a beautiful building, but we are living stones because there is one living stone, the Lord Jesus. And behind this passage is a following idea. I want you to imagine a group of stonemasons. And these stonemasons, they're very well well taught in their trade and they're building a beautiful stone building. And these stonemasons come across a very fine stone. This fine stone would be perfect for the building they want. It could be the cornerstone, the very stone on which the whole building is built. Or it could also be the capstone, the stone which goes at the centre of a stone arch and holds the arch together. Without the capstone... The arch would collapse and there would be no building. And the stonemasons come upon this perfect stone. It's great in every way for their building. And they chuck it away. And then they try and build without the foundation and without a stone which will stop the building collapsing. These are actually the stupidest stonemasons that the world has ever seen. And then, to make matters worse... As these stonemasons leave the quarry, they trip over the very stone they have rejected. 
Peter in this passage is saying, Jesus is that living stone. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of everything that is Christian. But he's also the capstone, to mix the metaphor, the stone which holds everything together. And yet Peter says this stone has been so often rejected, rejected by northern Turkey in the first century, rejected by most Australians today. But then God comes along, God the master stonemason, and God takes that living stone which is Jesus and makes him the stone which is the foundation of the building and the one which holds it all together. Have a look at verse 6. It's actually a quote from the prophet Isaiah. All this was promised 500 years before Jesus. Verse 6. For in Scripture, in Isaiah it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Come to Jesus. It's the absolutely safe place. You'll never be put to shame. But for those who don't come to Jesus, those who reject the stone, for them there are huge consequences. Have a look at verse 7. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. Yes, for us who believe, Jesus is precious. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Which is also what they were destined for. Three important truths in the last part of that passage. Firstly, Stumbling over this stone involves disobedience to the message or more literally it's actually disobeying the word and disobeying the word is rejecting the gospel about Jesus. See people in northern Turkey in the first century thought Christianity was a perverse religion that it needed to be stamped out before it took off. And more and more there's a similar view in our society. That Christianity is not just stupid, it's dangerous. But actually, what people think is dangerous is nothing less than the very way the Creator has established the universe. People are stumbling over the stone, which is Jesus. Secondly, and this is very difficult and hard for us to get our heads around, the last part of verse 8, which is also what they were destined for. See, people choose to reject Jesus. They choose to reject his offer of salvation. It's their choice. Under the sun, they make free choices to reject Jesus. Free choices. But the Bible helpfully tells us that above the sun, there is another truth. A truth that sits alongside the free choice. The truth is that this is God's world. He runs it. And nothing happens in this world outside of God's permission. As they were destined to, writes Peter. Everything is within God's permission, even our rejection of him. Now this is a hard truth. It's difficult for us to understand. But actually, the alternative, if you actually think about it, is much, much, much worse For the alternative to everything happening within God's permission is that actually 
the whole universe is spinning totally and completely out of control. That, for example, there is no point praying because everyone's just making choices and that will be the outcome and God cannot intervene, so why would you pray? But God can intervene. He has set up this universe and he does give permission to what happens. Do you see the problem? Either events have God's permission or it's out of control. Those are the only two alternatives. And the scriptures over and over and over and over again assure us that what happens has God's permission. And this verse assures us that God's permission extends even to our rejection of him. Now, having said that, I can tell you of events where I cannot for one moment how, imagine how a loving God has given permission for them. Cannot imagine. That's true for me and I'm sure it's true for you as well. And the scriptures themselves wrestle with this question, especially in a book like Job or elsewhere, over and over again, the writers of God's word, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, struggle to work out how God's hand can be in things. There's a struggle there. How can a good God allow certain things to happen? And there is no simple answer to that. The only partial and not entirely satisfactory answer I have is this. I assume that for God to achieve his final good and his final perfectly loving purposes, for God to achieve that, there was no alternative other than for him to give permission to what has happened, which is also what they were destined for. Thirdly, though, the verse, which is also what they were destined for, also speaks of Every single one of us. You see, every one of us, in fact, every person who's ever lived, has disobeyed God's word. Every one of us has stumbled over the gospel. Every one of us was destined to do that. This verse speaks of what's happened to every person on the planet. We have all, by our own choice, stumbled over the gospel. Stumbled over Jesus. But God... God in his love chooses that the stumbling can be overturned. That's the amazing thing, that stumbling can be overturned. Verse 6 again. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. We've all stumbled, but trusting in Jesus overturns that. Those who trust in Jesus are not shamed. Those who trust in Jesus do not receive what they deserve. For those in tr who trust in Jesus are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Now, if I get this right, the greatest building in the first century was the temple in Jerusalem. And the idea behind what Peter is writing is that we are being built around Jesus into not a physical temple, but into a stunning spiritual temple. And then, back up in verse 5, Peter twists the image. He says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We are stones in the building who are priests in the temple. And what do priests in a temple do, wherever, whatever religion, wherever the world? They offer sacrifices, and so do we. 
But it's a particular type of sacrifice, end of verse 5, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are those sacrifices? Well, if you flip across to Romans 12, you find out that actually they are not things offered on a physical altar as sacrifices. They are the living, if you like, the offerings on the altar of our hearts, as people used to say. They are lives lived in the power of the Holy Spirit in the service of Jesus. See, because of Jesus, every Christian is now a priest in God's spiritual temple whose sacrifice is to live their life in the service of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Twist the image back. Those priests are stones in the living temple centred on Christ, the foundation and the capstone. That's the first image. Then the second image is far more lateral. The second image of Christians is that we're a bit like Buckingham Palace. Hold that there and have a look if you're following at verse 9, where Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, actually, when Peter writes that, he was plagiarising in some ways. It's not a new idea when he was writing to northern Turkey. He was actually quoting from the book of Exodus in chapter 19. If you remember the book of Exodus, in that book, God leads his people out of slavery in Egypt. And as they're led out, they effectively become God's people. It does this under Moses. And when the people come out of Egypt, they gather before Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, God gives his people the Ten Commandments. But just before God gives them the Ten Commandments, he gathers the people together and speaks to them. And now I realize I'm going to have to turn and read the screen. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Come to him. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Out of all the world, God said to Israel, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says to Christians in verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, as you look around the room, and we're all doing that a bit this morning, just kind of work out what's on the walls and what does it mean and is it a nice space and... I mean, I'm praising God for the provision of this space. But as I look down at what's in the seats, I've got bad news. (laughs) Starting at the front, we look like a pretty ordinary group of people. Pretty ordinary, I think. We don't look very special. No prime ministers, no billionaires. Not that I know about, or not that our budget knows about. Pretty average bunch. But friends, 
That's not the image that God has when he looks at us. When he actually looks down at us as his church sitting in this building here in Mayfield for the first time, when he looks at us, he sees not an average group, he sees a very special bunch saved by his sons. He sees his special people. Now, what's that got to do with Buckingham Palace? Well, in England, all the land not owned by anyone is designated crown land. We have the same expression here, crown land. And it's part of the, the idea that all of England really belongs to the king. I actually had trouble writing that. It kind of, in my head, it still belongs to the queen, but she's dead. Anyhow, the king. It's his country. But then within England... There are some parts of England which the king specially owns. They're more intimately his. They are his special properties like Buckingham Palace, Sandringham, Balmoral. So all is England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, all are, are the kings. But within that, there are special properties which are his. And it's a bit like that for Christians. All the universe is God's. And every person on this planet in reality belongs to him for he has created them. But friends, Peter is saying here this amazing news that those who have trusted in him will never be put to shame. They are God's special people. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We're very special to God. We are his Buckingham Palace. And what are these special people to do? Verse 9 again that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. See, God has grabbed hold of us. He's built us into his building, his special building. And he's done that for a purpose. The purpose is that we might now declare to the world how wonderful God is, that he wants only what is good and loving and kind and just, and that he cannot stand what is evil and unjust. And the image goes on, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, this is another plagiarised quote from the Old Testament by Peter, and it's a quote from the prophet Hosea. And Hosea, again, 500 years before Jesus, actually told us when this would happen. He, Hosea actually said, a people not God's people will become God's people. People who have not received mercy will receive mercy. And he said the day that it would happen would be when God's king was killed in blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 that we looked at last week. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. When do the people who are not God's people, when do the people who had not received mercy, when do they receive mercy, when do they become, when do those who are destined to stumble, when do they become God's people and receive mercy, when is it that they will never be put to shame? redeemed with the blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. End of verse 6 again. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The second image here is that those who've trusted in him are very special to God, special to God not because we've done anything brilliant, but because we are the people for whom his son shed his blood. 
special to God, not because we've been good, but because he has given us mercy because of his friends, because of his son. Friends, that raises a question. What's it like for you to be a Christian? What's it like for me to be a Christian? Some days we probably don't think much about it. Other days it can be so hard that we think we might not continue. Other days we think, oh yeah, I should be able to keep going. Other times we become very aware of our own sin and wonder if we've already fallen off the birch. Friends, if we are in the words of verse 6, those who trust in him, then all of what is in this passage describes us. So listen again to the absolutely beautiful words in this passage used to describe those of us who trust in Jesus. Verse 4, precious to him. Verse 6, chosen and precious. Verse 7, precious. Verse 9, chosen. Verse 10, have received mercy. And those words are in the midst of Peter describing us as living stones in God's beautiful temple, as God's special possession. The tennis is on at the moment. Annabelle and I love sitting there in the evenings and watching it. We've never ever been to Melbourne to watch it down there. It's kind of on our one-day bucket list of things that we wouldn't mind doing one day. But exactly 20 years ago, we were in England in June and discovered that Wimbledon was on and discovered that you could actually go out in an afternoon and queue for a couple of hours and then pay £9 and at 5pm you could go into the very back courts of Wimbledon. And so we did this one day. We were in the very back, you know, kind of... Two ball boys still throwing balls backwards and forwards. But for nine pounds, we'd got in the gate and we were pretty excited about that. But then later in the evening, an extraordinary thing happened. It's a long story. But suddenly, while we're on the back courts, suddenly a Wimbledon official took us and ushered us into centre court seats at Wimbledon ushered us to the centre of world tennis. We didn't deserve to be there. We'd only paid nine pounds. But there we were, amazingly seated at the centre of world tennis. Friends, if you've come to Christ, if I've come to Christ, we haven't come to a tennis court no matter how special. We've come to the living stone, the Lord of all glory. We've been ushered into a place that is more wonderful than anything we could ever imagine. We haven't deserved that. There's nothing we could do to earn it, but we've received mercy. We are God's people and we are chosen and precious to him who says to us, come to him the living stone. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you for this word and we thank you for its wonderful reminder of who we are in Christ. Not that we deserve it, but that you choose to give us these blessings. And so we just thank you and praise you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.